Hello and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Vasca, and today I'm happy to welcome Bara Anastasia the director of Love is Just a Death Away, an animated short that premiered at South by Southwest 2021. And she is here to talk all about love in the midst of decay. I am so grateful to have the opportunity to talk with you because I absolutely loved your short. First of all, I just want to say how immensely pleased I am to talk to a female filmmaker who's in the world of stop motion animation. This is highly unusual (laughs) in and of itself. And I want to know what attracted you to this world to begin with. To the stop motion itself? Well, I just think stop motion from all the techniques you can get in animation, it's the most magical one. Because there is this quality of bringing something to light, something which is originally an inanimate object. And you can just play your little god, sort of. Like you create the words, you create the puppets. And you can touch them, you can feel them. For me, it's like they're actually alive, but I'm the only one who can see it. And then I need to like transcribe their lives onto the screen so everybody can see what I'm seeing. So um, yeah, I think the stop motion is definitely the the best yeah. animation technique there is, at least for me, because of this like sort of magical criteria it's got. And it's sort of like that painterly quality of having the still life that transforms as well. Yeah, totally. And also in Czech, we've got quite a big tradition of stop motion as well, with Chvank Mayer, Jiří Trnka, and all these amazing creators before. And I was wondering, how much of that did you grow up with? Did you spend a lot of time when you were young watching that? Or was that something you came to later in life? Well, yeah, I was I was watching quite often because in Czech, when I was growing up, we did not have TV channels, you had just one channel. And there were these uh, animated sort of series for the kids for just like 10 minutes every time from like every day from 7 till 7.15. And a lot of them were actually stop motion. So one of my favorite tales are are made in the same medium. So um, yeah, I think I was growing up with it, but we didn't have like a lot of, lot of options of what you can watch as a kid. So um, that could be part of it as well. I know for me growing up, Alice was always one of my personal <laughs> favorites. Oh, yeah, she, she's great, though. I really like her a lot. <laughs> and I wonder, too, in terms of the themes that come up in the film, I mean, obviously, you've got a very punk theme in a lot of ways. You know, <laughs> love is just a death away, which the exact meaning of the title is never clear mm-hmm. until the very end. But mm-hmm. it's so beautifully well crafted and it's very beautifully macabre. And I wondered in terms of the way that you craft your storytelling, mm-hmm. how did you decide which direction you were going to take it and how dark you were going to go with your vision? Oh, it was like originally it was very much darker. It was sort oh. of like almost, almost depressed because firstly, it was, uh, there was supposed to be two worms and their name was Bob and Steve and they would both be controlling the dog and they would be sort of like fighting over who's got the, who's got the right. And there was supposed to be like a love story as well, but it was not ending really nicely. And for me, it was sort of a metaphor of sort of like soul duality. Like in one body, you've got 
two or maybe more things which is kind of fighting over who's going to be charged and what you're seeing on the outside aka dead dog is so much different than what's on the inside yeah so originally the story was really dark but in my films i usually let my intentions be swiped by my life situations <laughs> while i was making the movie i fell in love with the, with the guy and it changed into love story <laughs> so it's <laughs> so very plain and simple wow Because it is so stunning the way that you have this juxtaposition of the beautiful and the grotesque and the fights in the middle of the wasteland over mm -hmm. these moments of decay. And it's just absolutely stunning what you're able to achieve in terms of just the phantasmagoria of the beauty of the effects. And I don't want to give anything away about the ending for those who haven't seen it yet, but I just wonder for you as a filmmaker, what was it like to try to get people on board with your vision? Luckily, I, I had such a great luck with this movie because uh, I, I have an amazing producer who works for Bayonet Company, which is awesome Czech production, and they, they just won an Emmy for a series, which is called Marty is Dead. And they just sort of like, I, we approached them with my pitch and they just truly believed in us and in our intentions. And I did not, I did not really have to like push them into making it, but I just liked it instantly. So yeah, so I, I was, I was really happy. I got being out on my side because then they helped me push the film to the right places so we could ask for more money to make it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess I just a lucky girl in my life with this movie at least. Wow. The individual materials, though, that you had to gather in order to produce this have to have been some kind of insane amount of resourcefulness and magic to be able to go out into the world and find things that represent each of these textures that are represented on screen. Could you tell me a little bit about the process of hunting down the right textures and fabrics? It was actually quite funny because I thought we were just going to go to the landfill and just pick up some stuff. But apparently the landfills are not existing anymore because we have like only the recycling centers and you are not allowed to go to recycling center and take something from the landfill center. So, um, but, but then I was talking to one guy who works in scenography and he said like, I just need to go there with like a bottle of rum or a pack of cigarettes and, you know, just talk to the people who are actually working there and they will let us in and we can just go through the garbage people are throwing away and use that for the film. And that's actually exactly what have happened. We, wow. we we bought a couple of uh, bottles of wine and we drove around landfills asking people to let us in. So, um, yeah, that was quite funny. It's really surprising how hard it is to actually get garbage. That's kind of amazing. I mean, especially considering my college days when I used to go dumpster diving all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's changing. You used to find so much phenomenal stuff in the trash. Yeah, exactly. Well, we did as well. I, I think we, we did have like some amazing catches. Yeah, clearly, clearly. I find that so wonderful that you were able to use that kind of creativity and bring that to the film. And then in terms of trying to pace the film, mm -hmm. what was the pacing like? I mean, in terms of matching the pace of the film as you were filming it to also the pacing of the scheduling of mm -hmm. how you were going to evolve what you were doing in the work on it. What was that like as a process? 
I think for, for me, it was it was quite easy. I would say I'm quite good at planning and pacing and what we can make and when, even though, of course, there were some deadlines where we had to push a little bit more harder. But we are trying from the very beginning to start shooting already when we while we were still making the props so we can sort of take a shift to a small studio. We, we just founded it <laughs> about, about a year ago. Still did not decide it on the name, but so far we are called Burning Frames. But let's see how, how long this one will last. But anyways, it's just like uh, me and one more guy uh, who helped me with the films before, Andre Slavik. So um, it was mostly just two of us for actually making, making the set and the props. And then we hired one more girl, which is awesomely, extremely talented. And she's actually the one who is standing behind putting all the little threshold together by Natalia Peterkova. So it was three of us in the in the prop making and the puppet makings. And then we had to hire some animators as well, which were my friends. And we were just sort of like taking shifts and animating that I would be like on a on a prop set making stuff somebody would be animating then when they finished like the cinematographer would come they would change it and the animator would either go home and I would take over or we would just sort of you know just like trying <laughs> trying to make it as soon as possible without bleeding to death on it really yeah we, we I, I think we managed it just fine editing was was really lovely because it's it's my good good friend and long time female editor as well so we had the sort of like same sense of humor and she's Ilona Mala and it was yeah we're just doing doing really surprisingly well with everything I would say I kept thinking about how hard it would be to make this if not everybody was on the same page or had the same sense of humor and the same vision yeah no no I, I was I was really I, I'm, I'm surprised still how, how lucky I got because we've got an amazing like post-production studio as well, Achtung 4K, and uh, yeah. So I, I think it all just came together in the right time. And in terms of the music also, I have to ask you, how did you work with the collaborators on the music? At first, it was a little bit tricky because I was listening a lot to My Bloody Valentine and the band called Mono when I was making it. I was sort of hoping we can get something like that. But then when I started animating and we were like help through the movie, I realized that it's not really working properly. And I also had some music from, from my ex I, I was planning to use as well. And then it didn't like really fit it properly to the movie. So we did hire a music composer, but that was for me, it was a little bit more uh, challenging to work with because I'm horrible at music. I'm thinking <laughs> my, my mind works in a, in a visual imaginary and I'm, I just struggle describing the music or singing like I'm, I'm a horrible singer. And I just, music just doesn't came up from my head. It's just like <laughs> such a difficult medium. So we were, struggling tiny bits with the first music composer and then we we uh, actually used music from our sound guy Muro who is who just did a brilliant job so we have free sources and I was I was trying to learn a lot like how to communicate music better but um, I, I think we, I think we made it just fine in the end I think it all fits it together but yeah it was a bit struggle <laughs> can I ask if you edited it before you added the music or if you edited after the music? We were doing it actually sort of simultaneously. Like we had the first edit, a rough one, and then we were just sort of like going forth and back with, with, uh, with the music and stuff. But you did have your first rough edit before yeah, the music yes, came in. Yes, yeah. there, was the, there was the first rough one. 
Because that's my theory, that you have to have the first edit before you start bringing in music. Because if you try to do your first edit with the music, it gets crazy and your vision is completely beholden to something else. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and also I I need to know uh I need to I need to show the music composers like the mood of the film and stuff. So I was like having the first rough edit and I put it some sort of the music I like and I I was sort of like imagining it, but then we were just keep sort of changing it to make it to make it just right. Uh we also made like one one thing that helped me a lot was we actually organized it was before the covid time. We did organize like a text projection when we were just invite the audience and you know the people from the from the same stop motion and animation business and stuff and even some like completely random guys and just ask them like what do they think how do they feel and stuff and uh, then we were making some more shots and like i think one more scene that would be a little bit more explanatory so yeah just testing on the audience <laughs> When you say one more scene that's a little more explanatory? Um it was because we have not shot enough of Steve and his reactions. So you could not really connect to him and like this it's a little bit more easy to kind of understand what he's actually doing inside of the dog and how how he's feeling about the things because mm. yeah it was just not enough of him at the beginning. And I just wonder about the practical technique of manipulating <laughs> in the moment like how you manipulate with certain characteristics and emotions while you're going through all of that i just always sort of like played it for myself you know like how 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 would i feel like a worm like what 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 would be moving making like little things which i i, I think like his I don't know how to call it in English. Uh, antennas, probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's like the most expressive thing he's got because even though he's got a jaw, we did not have uh, like a lot of freedom because it was just like opening, so you could make like surprised expressions, like a little bit of anger and stuff like that. But you could not really make him smile or make him look excited or like thinking. So, um, yeah. So the antennas <laughs> was the where the most expressive thing he's got. And in the process of manipulating him and so forth, I just wonder how that connection feels in that moment mm-hmm. when you're manipulating your own creation like that. I I just was curious. Well, with Steve, it's it's uh, it was quite funny because he he's got this like silly warm shape, so he had to be like a little bit more creative. And with the dog, it was nicer because I love I love the dogs, and also because he's dead. You don't need to be like super particular and super like uh trying to copy a dog dog movements. So that was fun because I could be a little bit lazy while I was animating <laughs> him. But um yeah, I always sort of like develop a connection to my puppets because you know they're like a little pets, especially if it's a dog or even a worm. So you sort of like like them and hate them at the same time. It's just incredible though what you're able to achieve in this film. And I was absolutely blown away by your use of color and just knowing that this was all found materials just really well we we did we did make some stuff like the most of it the landfill is found but there is uh if if you notice there's like a little oh, how do you call it this like little bottles from the aluminium mm-hmm. you know what i mean oh cans yeah sorry <laughs> uh yeah we were freely printing the cans 
that's okay. uh that that's the one one thing and yeah but most of it is found i think that's so incredible what you were able to achieve within those boundaries and within those limitations <laughs> i just want to say i deeply appreciate what you were able to do oh thank you and i want to thank you so much for your time and for being willing to talk to me about your experience working with this film. Well, of course. <laughs> I wonder, how has the South by Southwest experience mm -hmm. been for you? Oh, I, I love the online edition of South by Southwest because I think it's one of the festivals where I can really feel people putting effort in it. It's brilliantly organized. I, I love all the feedbacks I can get from the audience. But yeah, I, I think... South by so far for me, it's been like just, just the best online festival edition there was. Cause yeah, I really enjoying it. It actually feels like a festival. That's good. Rather than me just <laughs> being home and pre-recording videos. I, I think it's brilliant. It's been a lot of fun in my space as well. <laughs> and so I think it's wonderful that filmmakers are enjoying it too, because seeing everything online, I think it makes it harder in some ways to really appreciate everything, but. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. It totally does. And also, it just, just sometimes there is like way too many things going on. You know, like for, for South by, I, I'm really glad, even though I've got a job as well, like a normal one, I'm always excited to, you know, come home, put on the projector, projector, make some effort and pretend we are at the festival. No, that's wonderful. That's the way to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what else can you do? <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for your time and I wish you every success at the festival and beyond and good luck because this is a wonderful film well thank you very much for a lovely interview i really enjoyed it take care thank you for listening and thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair Take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on Support the Show in the show notes. We don't want your money, we want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.